welcome back to another episode of Endurance Icons, where we sit down with individuals crushing it in the wide world of endurance sports. We got, I think, three happy and sore athletes on the podcast today after a, a big weekend in Tremblant, where all three of us raced. Um, I raced the full, had a big breakthrough PB. Jess uh, got the win in the 70.3, which we're going to leave for another recap episode. But our focus today, we have an awesome guest on the podcast who just is coming off the win at Ironman Mont-Tremblant in the pro women's field. We got Rachel Zalinskis. How's it going, Rachel? It's great. Yeah, thank you for having me. Definitely very sore and very happy. Um, but yeah, so you're you correct on both of those things. <laughs> Amazing. Yes, I feel your pain here. Lots of uh, painful stares over the last couple of days. <laughs> Amazing. So I want to, we definitely want to take the full uh, Tremblant journey with you a little later in the podcast here, but I thought it might be good for our listeners to get kind of a, a full kind of run through of kind of the steps of how you kind of came to this past weekend. So maybe we could start it off, like turn back the clock a little bit and talk a little bit about your sporting past, because I understand you were a competitive swimmer for many years. So what did that kind of look like growing up for you on your path to uh, pro triathlon? Yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, growing up, I was always a swimmer. Um, I did a lot of sports when I was younger, but when I was around um, like 10 years old, I started focusing kind of year round on swimming, which is a pretty young age to be <laughs> committed to a sport, but I was pretty much all in at, uh, at age 10. Um, and yeah, so just kind of always had this, um, this dream of going to the Olympics and swimming. Um, and was, you know, somewhat close to that dream. Um, I was on the U.S. national team uh, as a um, as a 16 year old. Um, I made it in both the pool and the open water. I'd been to Olympic trials twice um, in the pool and once in open water swimming um, and finished as high as uh, seventh place in open water and ninth in the pool. Um, so, yeah, definitely enjoyed a very successful swimming career. Um, I uh, went the university route. So I swam at the University of Georgia for four years um, and had a wonderful career there as well. Um, unfortunately, about halfway through, I tore my rotator cuff, which kind of derailed my Olympic dreams a little bit. Uh, just as a very hard injury to kind of come back to top form from. Um, so that was my sophomore year of college and then finished out my last two years at Georgia um, and then retired from, from the sport of swimming. And after I retired, I just felt like I needed something else to focus on, some other goals to set. So I started uh, just running uh, running races, so half marathon, marathon, and someone, of course, floated the idea of doing a triathlon, um, which I had witnessed my mom um, doing a lot of triathlons when we were younger, and she had taken a, a bit of a break from it. So we decided to um, get kind of get back into it together and signed up for our first race together in 2018 and uh yeah since then I've just never <laughs> never looked back pretty much <laughs> oh awesome uh I want to pan back a little bit to the swimming because I think um it there's some really key things in there that probably have allowed you to succeed a lot as a pro triathlete in there so first of all like what events were kind of your focus you talked about open water and pool but what kind of distances were you doing and what kind of uh, distances in the pool as well yeah yeah so um in the pool my best events were um distance freestyle 400 im 200 backstroke so all the hard stuff <laughs> 400 I wasn't <laughs> yeah i wasn't necessarily very fast i just I just kind of think I had this little bit of like that mental edge of being able to uh, to tolerate being a distance swimmer. Um, so that's kind of what I focused on. Um, and then, yeah, I did foray a little bit into the um, 10 kilometer open water swimming as that's kind of the main event. Um, in the Olympics, they only have the 10 kilometer open water. Um, there are other distances that they do have now at the world championships and things of that sort. Um, so I focused on the 10K. Um, but when I went to college, I I just um, focused on on pool swimming after that point. So from what I know, swimming is pretty intense in terms of the like training schedule with that. So when you were saying those uh, university days, like how often were you swimming? Like was it multiple times a day? And did you have, do you have like a ballpark figure of like? 
how many yards or Ks you were doing in a week? Yeah, yeah. So in in college, it was crazy. But believe it or not, in high school, it was actually crazier for me. Because <laughs> so in, in college, they have this thing called the 20-hour rule, um, where they the NCAA enforces a cap of 20 hours on how many weeks or how many uh, hours you're allowed to have of mandatory training a week. Um, and of course, as distance swimmers, we kind of got around that with in the source, uh, in the way that every last 15 minutes of our practice were optional. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of the way that we got out, got around the 20 hour rule. Um, and yeah, so we were swimming um, between swimming and weights, it was 20 hours a week. Um, I don't know how many yards I, I averaged in, in college. Um, but yeah, it was, I mean, north of 50,000 a week, I'm sure. Um, but in high school, I actually trained a lot closer to 30 hours a week of just swimming and would regularly do 100k yard weeks. Um, yeah, wow. so it was an average of 80 to 100 yards or 100k yards a week. So yeah. So when you tore <laughs> kind of your... no wonder I tore my rotator cuff. Well, so when you tore your rotator cuff, like, that would have been like an abrupt stop. How did you handle that? Yeah, yeah, it was it was very tough um, because I had I just had this lingering pain for like a while, and we kind of were just like, um, it, what is this? Like we would give it rest, it would get better, it would it, it would get worse again. So it was abrupt, but at the same time, it was kind of months of of stretching it out before I finally got an MRI. Um, but it was like I had to stop swimming immediately, and it was extremely difficult I was still allowed to kick um at practice and eventually I I did start swimming again before I got the surgery um we decided to finish out the season because it was already late too late in the season to redshirt um but yeah it was tough and uh full credit to my coaches for dealing with me because I was rather moody during practices understandably yeah um, so what were some of the key elements you took away from kind of that time as a really competitive swimmer that you think helped you as you jumped into this uh, kind of triathlon journey and you are obviously doing lots of training? Maybe it didn't seem like lots of training once you came over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the biggest thing is just the discipline, um, it, you know, and that's the case with any sport, but especially with swimming, like a lot of times you're practicing twice a day, you're doing doubles, you're waking up extremely early. Um, I definitely don't know of any other team on campus at Georgia that had practices earlier than ours, uh, which started at 515 in the morning. Um, so it definitely just lends you to having a lot of discipline. Um, and then I think the other thing that's really kind of an advantage, other than the actual skill of swimming, which I know a lot of people wish that they grew up swimmers, <laughs> a lot of triathletes wish that they grew up swimmers. Um, but other than that, I think the other thing that swimming really teaches you is how to kind of embrace the monotony. Um, you're, especially as a distance swimmer, your face is just in the water, staring at the black line for a very long time um, every day. So I'm very good at monotonous uh, sessions. Um, I'm very good at riding on the trainer, um, things like that. I think I really just embrace that, um, just quietly grinding <laughs> thanks to swimming. Yeah, I think that's such a massive skill to be able to have because a lot of people want triathlon journey to be so exciting and sexy all exactly. the time. And it's oftentimes just like put your head down and do the the simple things for a lot of hours that make you very yeah. good. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, just as a random question, like once you switched from swimming to triathlon, did you make any big changes in like both your swim training and or your like swim stroke just to account for the fact that you have like a, a bike and run that follow that just out of curiosity? Yeah, so um, not necessarily to my stroke, um, because I always especially with a shoulder injury, um, I, uh, I kind of always always have or always had a little bit of like a higher tempo. Um, and I just lost a lot of upper body strength after having the shoulder surgery. So I kind of compensated for that with having a higher tempo, um, which lends itself very well to open water swimming, which is probably why I was more successful in open water swimming as well. Um, and then as far as the actual approach to training, it definitely looks um, 
a lot different than what I what I used to do um, in the fact that both it's uh, a lot less, like a lot, lot less, <laughs> obviously, than what I used to swim. And then also just like the types of sessions. Um, I mean, it's still kind of the same philosophy in terms of like uh, aerobic thresholds and then, you know, more lactate thresholds. So we do have those sessions. Um, but I do a lot more of just kind of like easy swimming than I used to. Like in college, we never had a session where like the entire uh, practice was easy. But I do have, you know, one or two swims a week where I'm not getting, you know, I'm not get, getting into any kind of aerobic threshold or, or higher. So once you move over to triathlon, what did that journey to becoming a professional triathlete look like? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. It Because um, I feel like a, a lot of people think that it just kind of happened right away. But I definitely had one of those careers that was very, very much like a natural progression. So in 2018, I was just starting out, I was doing races on road bikes, like I was, I, I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I feel lucky that I was doing, you know, pretty well from the get go. And that's, you know, definitely something that kept motivating me. Um, but I was, you know, placing like in the top five in my age group at 70.3 events. And then um, the following year, maybe I, uh, I think I got like second in my age group as my best event. And that's when I did my first Ironman, I got second in my age group there. Um, and then COVID happened. So I made a lot of progress during that time um, and didn't get to express it in any races. Um, and then the summer after that is when I um, kind of had my breakout in terms of like the age group year and took my professional um, license. And so that's when I won, you know, my age group at several different races and, and then took my pro card and, and debuted in 2021. Um, so it was definitely a very natural progression. I've worked with the same coach that I uh, had when I first started, which I think has been um, just incredible just to have him through the entire journey. He just knows me so well and has been really good about just um, playing the long game, I think, for sure. And what was your uh, process to choosing your coach? Yeah, uh, <laughs> I feel like very, very lucky because I... I, my coach and I have just an awesome relationship and it's just been absolutely incredible to work with him. Uh, I work with Andrew Yoder um, mm -hmm. and it, it was all happenstance. Uh, so my college roommate, um, her name's Emily Cameron. Um, she kind of went the triathlon route, uh, more like the short course. She was at, at least first focusing on short course right after we were done swimming and they swam for the same club team. So she knew of Andrew, knew of his success, and knew that he um, started coaching athletes. So she started working with him. And then that's the same time that I signed up for my first race. So when Andrew and I started working together, he was actually just helping me out and doing me a favor. Like I wasn't paying him as my coach. He was just giving me advice on how to um, I mean, giving you training plans, but just uh, out of the goodness of his heart, helping me get to my first 70.3. Um, and then, yeah. And then from then on, it just, it, it just, I didn't want to work with anyone else. So I love that. Yeah. <laughs> when you switched over to pro, did his approach to training you, was there any shifts in that or has it been fairly consistent since when you started? Yeah, it's been fairly consistent. And I think that's something that with the decision to take, uh, to take my pro card, uh, he really stressed is that nothing changes at all in our approach. Um, it still is about the journey that we've been on, the path that we've been on. Um, and now, I mean, things have definitely shifted in my training and just my lifestyle, but it's all been, again, very organic. Um, and yeah, he's really good about understanding um, the other life stressors that come up and just treating every athlete as an individual and their um, life situation. Uh, and tailoring their training to that. Talking other life stressors, like, do you have a full, like, do you have a job that you work as well on top of triathlon or are you like full-time triathlete? What does that look like? Yeah. So at the moment, um, I do not have um, an, another full-time job. Uh, so I was working full-time um, as a biostatistician. So I was working on clinical trials um, contracted by pharmaceutical companies. And I did that, uh, so I, I, was do, I was in grad school uh, getting, getting my master's in biostatistics, and then that was my first job out of grad school. 
and I was working like crazy, like working, you know, anywhere from 45 to 60 hours a week, um, which I know a lot of people do. So I feel kind of bad complaining about it, but it just was not sustainable for me. Um, and so I decided to take a leave from my job um, this summer. Um, I was actually just struggling with a lot of both physical and mental health issues. So I was in a position where I could take leave. Um, and then since then, I've been working um, part time as uh, just like a swim instructor. Um, and yeah, so I'm going to, uh, I've been spending the summer here in Pennsylvania. I'm going to go back to Scottsdale. I do have another um, job lined up uh, when I get back there, um, but it will be part time for sure, just easing back into it. And so, what does a normal week of training look like for you across the swim, bike, and run? Yeah, so I usually do um, like four to, to maybe five swim sessions a week, but usually four. Uh, where we're hitting two uh, kind of lactate thresholds, um, at least one aerobic threshold, usually two aerobic thresholds, um, and then uh, one easy swim session a week. Um, bike, we're doing, you know, one to two uh, lactate thresholds or above sessions a week. Uh, one kind of main, um, you know, Ironman, more like aerobic threshold type work long ride and then filling that in with a few more um just easy volume rides and then running um well this past year has been very different because i have barely run at all this past year um so i can't really remember what it used to look like but again it would it would be something more like one shorter threshold session one longer like aerobic threshold session and then some easy volume so roughly like four to five sessions per discipline each week Mm -hmm. And you keep touching on your your injuries, and I know you mentioned that in your post race um, interview. But talk us through what sort of what were you dealing with over the past year, and what have you learned from it? Yeah, so last year um, uh, I had qualified for Kona at um, Tremblant by finishing third, and a few weeks later I started having some hip pain and tried to push through it. Um, you know, tried to tried to just think it was a niggle, um, but it kind of knew As that it we was do. something. Yeah, exactly. Kind of tried to lie to myself and, and tell myself that. Um, and then finally, the week that I was getting ready to leave for Kona, I was like, okay, something is really wrong here. Let's, you know, get on this. So we got an MRI. And then the day before I was leaving, I found out that I had a, um, a stress fracture in my hip. Um, and yeah, so it was very devastating news. Obviously could not complete the race. Um, and yeah, so dealt with that for a while. Um, and then just kind of as I alluded to, uh, I just was really struggling um, on the comeback too. So it was, it was at the time where I was, I'd just gotten a big promotion at work. Um, so I was working like crazy, crazy hours. I was working on a few clinical trials that were just really insane. Um, and then just trying to push back on, push hard on this recovery. Um, and so my stress fracture healed, but then I started again, having more pain in my hip. Um, and again, lying to myself, telling myself it was a muscular mm -hmm. niggle. Um, and then had another MRI in March, at uh, the end of March and found out I had another stress fracture. In the same uh, hip. Same hip, but slightly different location. So mm -hmm. it wasn't like the same fracture that never healed. It was a completely new fracture. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah, so it was it was devastating, uh, very, very, very crushing to hear that again. Um, but yeah, I learned a ton from it. I completely changed my um, approach to like nutrition and recovery um, around sessions. And then, yeah, and then I just was was dealing with with so much um, stress. It's just funny that these things are called stress fractures because they are just from mm -hmm. stressing your body to the max. Uh, so that's when I decided to to just take a leave from work as well and just really focus on my physical and mental health. Um, and I think that helps me heal um, a lot faster as well. So. so what did some of those measures put in place? Like what does your recovery and nutrition look like? Yeah, so it's very simple. Um, I mean, it's, it's not simple maybe to me because I um, definitely made a lot of changes in the nutrition. So I've been working uh, with uh, Fuelin, um, the company Fuelin, uh, so Scott Tindall specifically, I work with him, like I have the, the app, but I also work with him as, as a one-on-one -on -one nutrition coach. 
Um, and I was actually um, uh, eating a plant-based diet for five years before this, and um, which I still think, you know, if, if there's anyone out there that, does, that eats a plant-based diet, I still think it's very possible for people to uh, compete at a high level in endurance events on a plant-based diet. Uh, but for me, just so many of my markers were off. My ferritin was like the lowest that they'd ever seen. Um, wow. So yeah, it was, it was six, I think my ferritin was. Oh yeah. my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So how were you upright? <laughs> I don't even know. Yeah. So there was just so much that needed to change that I was kind of open to just um, easing back into an omnivore diet. Um, so there was that, uh, which was a massive change for me and just like, also focusing on some micronutrients um, as well. So taking a few more supplements, um, iron obviously, um, <laughs> and then some of the other supplements related to bone density. Um, but what changed the most for me that um, that is simple, but, uh, but again, maybe not, um, is just the carbohydrates during exercise. Mm -hmm. um, so I knew like for a long time that I needed to bump them up during competition because I was, I was definitely not taking in near enough. Um, but with, with fueling and, and with kind of the nutrition guidance that they provide, you're, you're really fueling like your race level of carbohydrates during any session that has intensity. Um, so that was brand new for me. And then just, um, focusing, cause I definitely ate a lot of carbohydrates before, but I just think the timing of everything when I was eating it, um, and then I wasn't, I was eating like half of the protein that I eat now. So it was just really like calorically, I was probably meeting my needs, but just not, um, meeting the macronutrients kind of necessary and optimal for an athlete. Um, so it's just really focusing on that. And then, um, yeah. And then not obviously taking a step back from work just allowed me to have less kind of stress on my body and definitely sleep more. Um, so yeah, simple, just eat and sleep. <laughs> it's funny how the simple things are often the big things, but exactly. um, so we just yeah. had Alice Alberts on and she, her, she mm -hmm. made a similar comment where she had been eating plant-based and then moved back to eating meat for many of the same reasons. Was there yeah. like, was that difficult for you? Um, because I know like if you've been plant-based for so long, um, making a change like that is, I don't want to jump over you know, that is a big decision. And it's that sometimes takes a lot of bravery to do that. Yeah, it was, it was huge for me, especially because it just kind of became like, like a, I don't want to say like it became my identity, like being a plant-based athlete, but it definitely just like, it was something that I really enjoyed too. Like I really mm -hmm. enjoyed looking up different like vegan recipes and, and things like that. Um, so it was hard for me, but at the same time, I think after the, because this was after the second stress fracture that I made all of these changes, I was just so desperate to not be in the place that I was, that I was willing to try anything. Um, so it's been fun for me in that regard that I've been kind of, you know, trying these new things and then trying new recipes. Um, but it was hard for me. And I still like, I still hate raw me like I still hate <laughs> looking at chicken like I hate cooking chicken oh it's the worst but I just have to suck it up and do it and um it's been it's been a, I think a little bit easier just when you're kind of that desperate to yeah. to feel differently yeah totally and do you do strength training at all I know you mentioned that you did that back um in your swimming days yes yes so I I started even before I had all of the injury um injury issues, I did start strength training in um, 2022. So last year, the beginning of the season. Um, but I think this year, we've just put a little bit different of a focus on it in the sense that um, so I'm still doing roughly the same number of sessions, but there's just a few more kind of like core exercises that we've integrated in um, to kind of just like put a little bit more focus on building, um, building better bone density, and then also just working a lot on uh, hip mobility and things of that sort. And in terms of your training setup, um, do you do most of your training like solo or do you have certain uh, disciplines that you pair up with people to have someone to push yourself? What does that look like? 
Yeah. So when I'm in Arizona, I do absolutely everything solo. Um, (laughs) And I do have, you know, people here and there that I might meet up with. And then um, I'm lucky enough that I'm in a place where I'm surrounded by a lot of other athletes. So even when I'm solo, um, if I'm at the pool, like I'm, there's always someone that I know that's there. So it's nice to have at least someone in like a few lanes over, like also just grinding away. Um, and then same with outright, like when I'm out riding, I, I often see a lot of people. Um, but this summer I actually have been spending in Pennsylvania, um, based where my coach, uh, lives and he coaches a lot of athletes that are local to this area. So, um, we do group swims two times a week. And then, um, he often organizes some like group, uh, group rides or, or runs or things that, um, we're doing similar sessions. Again, everyone's kind of executing their own work, but we're all out there at the same time. And then he's also um, a saint and provides us with like uh, bottle service, as I as nice. we like to call it, uh, yeah. switching out bottles and things like that. So nice. That's awesome. So good to have yeah. a, a squad of people to to hang For out sure. with as well when you're doing yeah. it. it. Can be a solo endeavor sometimes, but yeah, we get so much value out of that. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Um, so I definitely want to hop into the uh, full Tromblon experience. Um, I, I, as a fan of the sport, I, I had had so much fun with this because, like, I was somewhat close to you guys for most of the day and could kind of see how the race was panning out and yeah. uh, and kind of could see the battles and then moving back and forth. So maybe let's start. Um, what were your expectations going into the race, and what was your kind of mindset uh, as you were leading into this race? <laughs> Yeah, so I honestly had my my expectations have kind of bounced all over the place. Um, I like when I say that I have have barely run in the past year, like I really mean it. <laughs> like, because when I by the time I got the second stress fracture, I had kind of barely started running uh, um, again, and I I I've done like a decent amount of uh, body weight supported running. Um, so I would say over the past 12 months, though, there's been six months uh, out of those 12 months that I haven't run at all, like body weight supported or not. Um, mm-hmm. And so it was, you know, three months after the first stress fracture and then, you know, a few months after the second. So, yeah, not a lot of running. Um, and then in the build up to this race, even like I did my first body weight run in like the second week of June, maybe, and I ran 20 minutes, like, I, I wasn't even sure, like, I knew my coach and I, like, we had talked about going to the race, and then I'm like, are we sure, like, this is, (laughs) this is quick, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) so it just came up a lot quicker than I thought, um, and I, but the last kind of few weeks leading into the race, I really started to, like, I've been riding and swimming pretty well the whole summer, and then the last few weeks, coming coming into the race I started just running really well and got in a few longer runs that like kind of really built my confidence so I was like maybe like maybe this is gonna go better than I thought like at at first I kind of thought like okay we're it's just about getting back out there like let's just see what happens um and then you know when I saw the start list like I was like oh there's some pretty big names there because I was like maybe I'll nab one of the last Kona slots but then when I saw the start list I was like oh I don't know like it's it's there's there's some bigger names there that are also that you know looking for Kona slots um so then I kind of bumped my expectations down a little bit but at the same time I was still running really well so I think I was like kind of like maybe like 10% of me believed that I could do something like really, like really awesome and, and on par with, with what I did uh, over the weekend. But I think a bigger part of me was just like, I, I, you never want to disrespect the Ironman distance. Like mm-hmm. that is a humbling distance. <laughs> like You can <laughs> yes, never go in there and just say like, Oh, I got this. And it's just been so long. And um, yeah. So definitely not not at all what I what I expected but a a little part of you always have to believe always has to believe that something like that's possible for you to execute it yeah for sure um so day got off to a good start you uh had your patented uh off the front swim (laughs) getting a nice little lead out how did how did that go straightforward kind of what you were looking for to start the day yeah I was it was actually to be honest with you it wasn't like it wasn't as good as I as I was expecting the swim like I felt fine I felt good 
Um, I was definitely having a little trouble like seeing some of the buoys. Um, and I don't know if I took like, I don't know if the buoys weren't straight or something like that. But I feel like this, I was like, the swim feels so long. So I don't know if I just took a bad line or something like I know, they told us we were allowed to go on either side of the buoys, but I, I stayed like on the left of all of them. So I don't know if I just like didn't take the best, the fastest line. But when I got out of the when I got on the bike, like my coach didn't tell me my time because he knew that I would not be satisfied with it because I'd <laughs> never been over 50 minutes in a wetsuit. Um, but he told me the gap and I was like, what? Like, I don't even have two minutes. Like I was shocked. Um, so I was obviously happy to be off the front, but I was, yeah, I was, I was pretty, uh, pretty shocked that it, that was, that was a small as a gap, but um, yeah, no disrespect to Meredith and Sarah though, because they are very good swimmers in their own rights. So. Yeah, for sure. Um, so hopping on the bike there, I remember I was seeing kind of at the first turnaround, it looked like Sarah had kind of jumped away from you guys. And I think Meredith had might've uh, bridged up to you at that point, maybe take us a run through of how the bike panned out. Cause there's also some, uh, a weird split at the very end of the bike that I have, <laughs> I have a question on. So okay. uh, maybe take us through the, the full run through of the bike. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah. So um, the bike started and yeah, I was, I was on my own off the front. Um, and then, yeah, about like pretty much right before the first, uh, the first turnaround on the highway, um, Sarah and Meredith came by. So I think they were riding together from, from that point. But then when Sarah came by, she dropped me like I was standing still. Like it was like she just went right by us. Um, and then um, Meredith didn't go with her. And luckily I was able to kind of stay with Meredith. Um, and then I stayed behind her for a good portion um, of the, the rest of the first loop. Um, and then um, at around halfway, we kind of got the split that we were actually making back a little bit of time. Um, and we just kind of worked together the whole ride. Um, I mean, I would try, I would go in front and then she would come right back for a few minutes later. Um, I think we also just kind of have different strengths, like with the, and with the rollers and stuff, like I'm not very fast downhill because I'm, I'm still rather like I'm, I'm you know, a lighter athlete. So I just don't go downhill as well. And I'm not as experienced as some of these other women. Um, and so, yeah, we, we kind of worked together on the bike and we could see Sarah. And then that's when we were like, okay, let's like, let's, let's go. Let's, let's, um, let's get this. And so then we ended up catching and passing Sarah and she did not go with us when we went by. So Meredith and I stayed together for pretty much the whole ride. Um, and then at the very end, Dee Dee Griesbauer, um came by when we were heading back towards uh duplicy that's how i say it i don't know if that's the proper pronunciation yeah, um, <laughs> okay cool um and right when we were heading back uh to duplicy she came by and then um yeah so then we were kind of all three together and then i kind of attacked up duplicy and got myself off the front which was my my intent um so i did that and then I came back into transition on my own. Um, but yeah, very rookie mistake. I don't know if anyone actually knows that I did this, but I actually went out for a little because I was just having such a good time. Um, oh, no. no. So, I, so you did the you did the U-turn. Yes, I did the U-turn. So I came in and I think I was just like so hopped up and like I was just like, you know, first first race in the year. So I said where like which way to transition. And I, I think I just also like saw weirdly because I saw a like transition and then you know second lap but I just like thought that there was like a cone across there so and I was like where, where do I go for transition and then they said full Ironman make a u-turn so I made a u-turn just like because I heard that and then yeah so I went out and then I was like this is not right I was like this is not right so then I, I but I lost I had probably went and I went on a whole other mile um and yeah like half mile out turned around came back into transition so the 90 second gap that I worked very hard for I turned into a 90 second deficit that, on the run. this makes more sense because I was looking back at the tracker just scanning through to see like how it unfolded and I'm like why is our last split in the last 300 meters of the ride seven kilometers an hour and loses exactly yeah. like you said three minutes essentially flipped the other way yeah exactly so but you know what first triathlon back in the year I was like I knew I was going to make at least one mistake so there you go <laughs> how did you keep your like headspace 
clear for that. Yeah, so I was obviously really upset because I just especially like with my run, I was like, and I knew I was I was having a good ride. And I was just like, at first, I was just devastated because I was like, I needed this, I needed this gap for the run because I had not run like I was like, I need this time. <laughs> and then to go from a 90 second, uh, you know, advantage to a 90 second disadvantage is like extremely disheartening. Um, but I also was like, there's absolutely nothing I can do to change this. Like, there's nothing mm -hmm. I can do. So I just had to say, I just had to literally laugh about it. And as I was like, so I told, I, I like, as I was racking my bike, my mom was right there and I was like screaming at her what I did. And then I was like so mad at myself. And then I was like, okay, you need to get it together. And luckily she ran the whole way to the other side, like, like where I was about to run out. And then I was, and when I saw her again, I was like, okay, you ha you have to let this go because you can't change anything. And so I just said, I was like, this is hilarious and laughed and then just kept running. So. It's good you took a positive approach on it. I definitely found, um, this is the first time I've seen this in Tremblant, but it was, I found like there was almost a lot of a language barrier that day. And I found out there was a few moments where like through yeah. aid stations or directions through transition where there was just some like broken moments there <laughs> I felt that too very much so yeah very much so on the run I was I always allow, allow myself coke in the last like five kilometers of a half iron man and last 10k of a marathon so I hit the 5k and I started yelling coke but the way like it sounded to them like low like water so I kept getting oh. cups of water and so <laughs> I, I finally a sense because I have so yes, it's yeah, it, it did happen throughout the day, although I didn't have anything as devastating as as the wrong turn on a bike in this race. <laughs> yeah, you've yeah. done that before and you're in Wisconsin, so it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. All right. So on to the run. So you you now have this like 90 second deficit to Meredith, who's leading the way there. Um yeah. take us through how that kind of unfolded. It looked like uh, that gap kind of held for the first 10k and then kind of started to come back from there. Yeah, yeah. So I definitely took off a lot faster. I mean, I think even if I had the lead, I probably would have taken off as fast because I probably would have been hopped up on the adrenaline from the lead. But yeah, I ran my first five miles definitely faster than I probably should have. But I think we all did that. Um, at least all, all the, the women did. Um, and yeah, so I was just a little worked up from that, just hopped up on adrenaline. Um, and then I also, you know, my first time splits I was getting, I wasn't getting any time back. So then I was just kind of still pushing. Um, and yeah, and then on the way, I mean, it was a little hard because like once you go out into the path, you just don't see anyone. So you can't get any splits or anything like that. Um but yeah, then then when I started to come back towards town, I started to kind of get some feedback and 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 people kept telling me too, like in the race, it was awesome. Like like other age groupers that were kind of like heading the other way, they were they they were like, oh, she's right up there, like she's she's about sixty seconds or she's about forty five seconds, and you never know if those time gaps are real or not <laughs> because it's like how are you how are you getting this information? Um, but yeah, it was, it was encouraging, um, just to hear that people were saying that she was close. Um, and then it was encouraging. To, I mean, I was also running pretty scared too, because I had Sarah Crowley behind me, which yes. is like not a name that you ever want behind you. Um, and then some other women that were, um, you know, running very well and, and looking very strong. Um, so yeah, I do love that course though, because you get that feedback at the turnaround at the turnaround. Um, so you don't always like where you can see the split yourself. Um, but yeah, about halfway through though, um, I was, I knew that I was starting to make up time, but also at the same time, my legs were feeling a way that they have never felt before in a race, which is like the, my quads were just like killing me. So I, um, I, I, after, after 21 K I like, and like heading back out on the second loop, I saw my coach and luckily it was like loud because I said like something along the lines of like, I don't know if I can finish. And I think once you verbalize those words, like, or like once, once you kind of speak them into existence and someone hears them, you start to kind of believe them a little bit more. So he didn't hear me. Um, 
and I'm or he or I I don't think I said I don't think I can finish I said because people were like pushing me to catch her and then but so I think I said something along the lines of like I need to just hold back because I need to make sure I can finish because I knew that if I I knew Meredith already had a Kona slot so I was like I don't need to win I just you know want to get the Kona slot (laughs) so uh but then I don't think he heard me and then a split second later I saw her and then it's like once you see what's possible and you're competitive, you just go for it. Blood and in so the water. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go for it. And so I saw her and we exchanged some really nice words uh, when we passed because she, um, I've never really had, I've never had the pleasure of meeting Meredith or racing with her. Um, and she is just all class. Like she is mm-hmm. an absolute legend. She is so encouraging to everyone on course and just like really uh, like knows what the sport is all about more than it's more than just winning and and it's just a community and she just embodies all of that so it was really encouraging to pass her but at the same time my legs were hurting so bad and so I said after I passed her I said honestly you might be seeing me again and she was really sweet and she was like I don't think so Um, but yeah, after that, I just kind of was like, all right, let's see how far we can push this. Because I think if you're doing an Ironman, you do kind of have to have that like weird, like, like weird, like desire to feel pain, I guess. I don't know what a better way to describe it, but it kind of became like, all right, I'm on my limit. Like, let's see how far I can be on my limit. Um, and so I just kept kind of pushing, pushing, pushing. Um, and then the gap just kind of kept growing um and yeah it was it was awesome and I told myself I was like okay if I can make it to 30k I know I'm gonna finish the race and so I you know that was right before the the final turnaround uh on the trail and then and then I was like okay if I can make it to 36k I think was what I gave myself I was like I can actually win this race like because I I didn't believe it after I passed I was like there's no way like my legs are going to explode like they hurt so bad (laughs) um so yeah it was definitely more than I probably more than my body was ready for but I think just a lot of um like a lot of just excitement for being back out there uh carried me carried me the rest of the way a little bit of magic for sure because I should not have been able to do that so what were the emotions like as you come over that final hill and into the village I feel like trombone is one of the best finish lines so like what was what was that feeling like yeah it's absolutely my favorite finish line ever um like placid is epic like like especially when you're finishing in the oval like I've done it both the one year where you didn't and then when you do and it's like epic but there is just nothing like Tremblant. And, like, also, I love that the finish is all downhill. Like, come on, yes. that's awesome. Because yeah. <laughs> then you, you really need just it. <laughs> get to soak it in and enjoy it. Um, so, yeah, it was it was incredible. And just, like, something that, you know, you always see other people getting to experience. Like, because, um, you know, even as an age grouper, like, I've never, like, taken the tape, like, I've any race I've ever won has been with like a pro field so I you know you're kind of anticlimactic when you're when you're finishing and you're just like oh yay and you don't even know if you've won because then there's like other people behind you and whatnot um so you get to see like that uh you know watching races I've, I've seen so many people like giving high fives and taking the tape and I just never thought that, that would be me so it was really really cool to experience that um but yeah just even more cool because I think yeah, like I said, the whole day, I just never, like, like, I knew, like, I I knew I could win, I knew I could finish, I was completely just absorbed in the race. But at the same time, like, in my head, I just kept saying, like, this isn't, like, this shouldn't be happening, like, you, you shouldn't be able to be running right now. Um, So it's just a lot of gratitude just to make it to the finish line, for sure. One of the perspectives that you shared in your post-race interview uh, or on uh, the award ceremony that I loved is you were giving words of encouragement of just saying like, you know, the whole day out there, I was just thinking of, I was like in gratitude of like, I have been like denied of this opportunity to race and suddenly, yes, my legs hurt, but what a privilege it is that my legs get to hurt. Like we loved it. So I just, I loved that really 
incredible spin that your injury brought to your first race back. Like it, yeah. it was such a great perspective you brought. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. I think, yeah, I think honestly, every moment just meant so much to me. And it was just like, I was so happy the whole day. Like, and I think I lost a little bit of that last year, just with all the stress and, and then just, you know, wanting like, because last year, my goal was to make it to Kona. And so just like chasing that slot and chasing that slot, like, I think I was just so focused on it that I lost a little bit of that gratitude and that like real, that real meaning of why we do this, because obviously winning is exciting. Obviously, you know, being a, being a professional is exciting. Um, But like, if you're doing these races, like you need to have something more than just it being like your job to, to, because it's not even a lot of our jobs. A lot of us don't make the money that it qualifies to be our job. So there's going to be something else driving you for sure. Totally. Um, well, pretty cool given that uh, you hadn't run very much. So you ended up with the fastest run split as well. How does that make <laughs> <Yeah>. you feel? <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it's, it's really exciting. It's very, yeah, very funny that kind of the thing that I was pleased with that I feel like I feel like I did execute the bike perfectly, if not for the last <laughs> little snafu there. That I said I would say that that would have been probably the, like what I was most proud of. But yeah, I think it's just kind of funny that of all the three disciplines, that's the one that I executed the best. Um, and yeah, just just exciting because I think um, it's just a glimpse too of 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 like something that we had been searching for last year because we thought that I would maybe run be able to just based off of my progression, we thought maybe I'd be able to run sub 310 last year and I was pretty far off of that. So it's just exciting to see uh, to see that progress finally come to. So exciting. Um, you said you did a lot of things right in the race. One thing we didn't really touch on much was what did your kind of nutrition strategy look like for the day? I'd love to, and I know our listeners are, are diehards for this kind of stuff. So maybe you could share a little bit about uh, your plan yeah, today. Yeah, for sure. It's very different than anything I've ever done in the past. Um, so first leading into the race, I did do um, like a calculated like carbohydrate loading. So I'd never, like I'd always eaten a lot of carbs before the day before and reduced fiber, but I never like had a very exact approach about it. Um, so yeah, so just like more like a one day uh, carbohydrate loading uh, the day before the race. And then, um, my, uh, so I think I had 600 grams of carbs the day before. Yeah. 600 grams. Um, and then the morning of the race, I had, uh, 150 gram carbs at breakfast. Um, and then, sorry, if you hear some sirens right now. Um, uh, and then I had, um, so yeah, so the day of the race, I had 150 gram carb breakfast and then a caffeine gel an hour before another another gel just to top off the carbs 15 minutes before um and then obviously nothing during the swim and then um the bike I aimed for um about 105 grams of carbs per hour so accounting for you know a little bit of spillage or or you know a little bit left in the gel packet um probably closer to 95 to 100 um and then yeah the run a little bit less than that so probably it's I don't I don't know the exact because of the coke I I also do coke only in the second half though um, I allow myself that coke in the second mm-hmm. half so you're stronger than me last 10k <laughs> I give myself the whole last half yeah I use the <laughs> last half too <laughs> but yeah so probably around 60 grams of carbs uh, per hour on the run nice um did you have like sodium targets you were hitting or are you somebody that's like, oh. a heavier sweater or or not really yeah Yes, the sodium we focus a little bit less on just for this race because the conditions aren't, you know, too horrible. Um, So I don't even know the exact amount, which is something I should know, but I don't. But I had, um, like, I think four packets of CH 1500 on the bike um, and then uh, pH capsules for the first half of the run. Yeah, pH is our go-to as well. That stuff is friggin' awesome. You can just yeah, crank so many cows and not like get yeah. that like palate fatigue too. My be- sure. my favorite stuff for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And then I also love their salt capsules because they're mm-hmm. like the only ones that I found that like they're like the packaging is perfect because it's like waterproof. Whereas like any other like tabs or capsules, they end up getting just soaked and like disgusting. So, so what's up next for you? 
Yeah. So next um, is Kona. So yeah, Ooh, so I, I qualified for Kona. So I'll be going back there. Um, yeah, definitely taking this week to recover. And then, um, yes, yeah, so I'm still in Pennsylvania um, for the next two weeks. And then I'll head back to Arizona um, and get some, you know, heat prep in <laughs> before Kona. So love it. We'll see you there. Awesome. Yeah. Can't wait. It's going to be amazing. So we invited you on the podcast because you are our endurance icon, but I'd love to know who's your endurance icon. Oh, <laughs> yes. So I thought a lot about this question, um, but I would say that my endurance icon is my mom. <laughs> um, yeah. So she's definitely, um, yeah. So as I, as I alluded to, she's was the big inspiration for me getting into the sport. Um, but just our whole lives, like she's always been extremely active and that's something that's always been really important to her is just her physical health and, um, and movement. Um, and just, that's been very inspiring to all of her children, just the way that she leads a healthy lifestyle. Um, and then it's just been so fun with her these past few years to kind of get back to see her get back into triathlon and start setting these big goals again. Um, we train together a lot so you asked me if I train with people I should have said my mom because we often ride um like we'll ride our kickers together in the garage or um go to the gym and run on the treadmill together when it's super hot outside things like that um and she is currently uh building towards her very first Ironman at the age of 58 uh Ironman Arizona in November so she's definitely my icon for that reason Wow, she's my icon now. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. So how can people follow your journey, Rachel? Yeah, so uh, I'm definitely most active on Instagram. So my use uh, my username's Rach Zilly, so R-E-C-H-Z-I-L-I 13. Um, and that's kind of kind of where I uh, post most. Awesome. Well, everyone go follow that on Instagram. Uh, and uh, thank you so much. This was such a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Wow, how great was that? I always learn so much from these endurance icons. If you enjoyed the podcast as well, please consider liking us across social media, subscribing to us on YouTube, or giving us a five-star rating on wherever you listen to your podcasts. We appreciate you and your support so much. We wish you happy training, and we'll see you back next week.